0: Welcoming a church, uh, image, identity, and community in in Christ. And I want to get start this by just here is a core conviction. I don't have time to really um, go into depth of how this developed out of my own personal story um, about why this is my ministry passion. But I it, it's kind of codified in this uh, in this statement that the ministry of reconciliation as demonstrated in the local church by the gathering of people from diverse backgrounds, uh, from diverse backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities, that that is the natural outworking of a rich covenantal theological commitment. That is, if we are committed, Uh, to what we see in the scripture, the the story of scripture, the history of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, that the local church will be about the business of pursuing the ministry of reconciliation in real time and real space in the here and now. And I'll have time, uh, we'll see inside conversations maybe to tell you a little bit about uh, my story and how that came about. But this is what drives me in ministry. It's what drove me in ministry um, as a pastor for 10 years at City of Hope Presbyterian Church, and it is what drives me now as an assistant pastor on staff here and as the director of our Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. And so I've been uh, captivated by this idea uh, recently of, uh, of beauty. Um, over the past year and a half, and so we're going to um, we're going to kind of hone in on that uh, concept or image in these three three uh, ways in our sessions uh, this weekend so this morning we are going to spend this time focused on the God we image a look at who is this God that we are the image bearers of, and then this evening we are going to talk about image, identity, and welcome in Christ. And then tomorrow morning, we will talk about image, identity, and welcome in, uh, in community. And so this God that we image, I'm a, you know, uh, by profession, before the ministry, pastoral ministry, uh, I was a systems engineer and project engineering manager. And so, I, you know, I've got a very um, um, uh, non- a creative mind, in terms of like the creative arts, I'm very, you know, symmetry, math, science, logic, all of that stuff is my, and so, and so the Lord is funny, you know, just the last year and a half or so, like I said, just I've been captivated by uh, the notion of beauty, um, which, and so I've I've had to um, I've had to lean on some more. Uh, creative minds as I've explored this concept. Uh, We say, you know, God is a lot of things. God is love, right? Uh, God is merciful. God is gracious. God is kind. Um, uh, But but God is beautiful. What does it mean that God is beautiful? The psalmist says in Psalm 27 and 4, one thing I have I asked of the Lord, Uh, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life uh, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist says, the thing that I want most of all is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life for this purpose, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. And so what is beauty what is beauty? Why do I have pictures of a camels uh, here in this question? Uh, because there was, uh, there was a scandal in Saudi Arabia earlier this year, in January of 2018. And what is the scandal, you asked? Uh, in a, a dozen camels were disqualified uh, from, the, from the camel beauty contest in Saudi Arabia in January of this year. Now, why were they disqualified from the beauty contest? They were disqualified for having received Botox injections <laughs> to make them appear more attractive. <laughs> A veterinarian was caught performing plastic surgery and giving Botox injections to these camels uh, to make, uh, as it said in the article, to make uh, their ears to pe- appear more delicate, uh, delicate. It says they use Botox for the lips, the nose, the upper lips, and the lower lips, and even the jaw. It makes the head more inflated, so when the camel comes, it's like, oh, look how big that head is. (laughs) It has big lips and a big nose. Now, listen, real money is at stake. There are over $31 million in prize money at stake in these camel beauty contests, these camel pageants, right? And we, we laugh, right, because we're not likely to come across any camel beauty pageants here in the good old U.S. of A. But we do know what it's like to commodify beauty. We do know what it's like to, uh, to parade people across a stage and, and, and judge and rate them according to their appearance and declare one more beautiful uh, than the other. And so beauty, is beauty simply, um, I know it when I see it, is beauty simply in the eye of the beholder? Is beauty simply a subjective thing? Uh, Beauty finds its roots and its source in God himself. When we talk about God's beauty, it's it's an attribute uh, of God, but it's a beneficial one to study, in my opinion, uh, as we consider God's nature and the nature of the humanity uh, that images Him. And so, I'm gonna keep pressing. These are the questions I ask: How should we define or describe beauty? Is it, you know, it when you see it? Is it simply it's in the eye uh, of? The beholder. What do we mean when we sing that song in the church? We are marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching onwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. What are we singing about? I'm going to take this towards a definition from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas as it was uh, laid out in, uh, in a book by Steve Guthrie. Titled uh, "The Holy Spirit," the uh, uh, rather Creator Spirit is the title of the book. The Holy Spirit and the Art of Becoming Human, and he borrows from Thomas Aquinas, who uh, lays out these three aspects of beauty, um, where Aquinas says uh, beauty has a likeness to the property of the Son, S-O-N, Jesus. Christ includes these conditions, integrity or perfection. It includes uh, due proportion and it includes, he uses uh, the word brightness or, or, or clarity. And uh, Steve Guthrie takes these three and says, when we talk about beauty, we're talking about these three facets. We're talking about perfection and proportion and pleasure. Perfection, proportion, Um, and pleasure. And so this aspect of beauty and it is perfection, Guthrie writes, to hope for the kingdom of God in its fullness is to hope for beauty. The psalmist says in Psalm 50, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines Fourth, there is this aspect of of perfection when it comes to uh, to beauty. However, this is not this perfection is not the idea of the the sheen of the glamour magazine. It's not the perfection of uh, of, of of the photoshopped photographs that we see on the glossy covers of of magazines why because uh as as aquinas says it has a a quality of perfection that's likened to the Son, the lord jesus christ who is beautiful jesus is beautiful and he is beautiful particularly in his resurrection life And in his resurrection life, he still bears the marks of his crucifixion. He still has the the scars on his, uh, the nail wounds on his hands and his feet and the scars on his side as we sing in that hymn, "Those, those wounds yet visible above are in beauty glorified. And so it has to be, this beauty, this perfection has to be a beauty that can, or perfection rather that can accommodate scars because of our savior and beauty has the aspect of proportion and by proportion we mean a uh, kind of harmony and and shalom and everything of uh, functioning the way it ought to be uh, esther light cat meek in her book uh loving to know says and by the way you will find that i'm that i borrow from a few different writers like i said i am not the creative mind type, so I had to do a lot of reading and, and combine lots of thoughts, and she says this. She says, talking about the new creation, the new creation will be beautiful because there will be harmony and right relationship between God and humanity among humanity and among all that God has made, each thing will be most truly what it is, and what is more, and amazing, the utterly distinct character of each being will contribute to the beauty of the whole. This idea of of shalom, this I do usually translate that word as peace, but it, it really means wholeness. It really means everything operating the way it's supposed to operate. Everything the way God had intended it to be. And this reality of shalom, of, of harmony, of right ordering, of, of all things is true of God first. And then there, lastly, there is pleasure. A simply put, beauty delights. <laughs> Beauty does indeed put uh, a smile uh, on on our faces. Um, Meek again says, rather than drawing the beautiful object into the orbit of my concerns, I'm the one drawn in. All right, the the beautiful thing it, it captures rather than serves my interests. Uh, she rightly points out. That to submit to something is to acknowledge its weightier presence, to treat its presence as weighty. We find ourselves in the presence of something which has already won our respect, which has already changed us. The word in the Old Testament that is normally, uh, that is always translated as glory, the Hebrew word is kavod. We find that word in in the Hebrew language, it, it means, at its root, the word kavod means, means weighty, substantive. Uh, and so, and so when, uh, when, when the Hebrew folks wanted to express the glory, the splendor of God, the, the word that they, that they used, uh, um, it, it communicated the weightiness of God, the, uh, the, the substantialness of God. Uh, of god and so and so it draws us in he is the one who draws us in to gaze again uh, the psalmist says on uh, the beauty of the lord and to inquire uh in his temple uh, meek lastly says i believe beauty is a gracious naturally alluring responsibly self-giving presence And we see this in the creation uh, account in Genesis chapter 1. This idea of, of beauty, these, this idea of perfection, proportion, um, and pleasure. The story of Genesis 1, the creation account, is, the, is really sets the stage for the entirety of the scripture. It is the story of God bringing order out of chaos. It is the story of God uh, right, the, uh, There was darkness o- uh, uh, over the earth, and, uh, and the Spirit was hovering over the surface of, of the waters. And, and the waters itself, it, it, it indicates in that ancient Near Eastern culture a chaotic state, a disordered condition. And so day after day after day, it said, Genesis 1 says, The earth was formless and void. It was without form, and it was empty. And the story of creation in Genesis 1 is of God forming and filling. And the days are parallel days. In day one, God forms the light. God says, let there be light. And he forms the light. And in the parallel day, day number four, he fills what he forms. He he fills the light with the sun, the light to rule the day, and the moon, the light to rule the night. In day two, he forms the firmament and and the sky and and the seas, and in day five, he fills what he has formed with inhabitants, birds, and, and fish, and in day three he forms the dry land and and the vegetation and in day six he he fills what he has formed with uh land animals and then the crown of his creation humanity you and i and so this story of genesis one and this is a side note that's why it's it's rather pointless to get into um um Questions uh, about creation and science uh, from Genesis 1, and try to make that argument, uh, because Genesis 1, the structure, is talking about, yes, God creating out of nothing, but it is it's structured in, in a po- as a poetic narrative of God of God answering the problem of creation being chaotic. And so he forms and he fills. And so everything is complete. Everything is, is perfect. Everything is in right proportion, operating in harmony the way it ought to be. And there is pleasure because the end of every day, God declares, it is good. God saw what he made and he said, it is good. And then on the sixth day, it says, God looked over all that he created and he made the benediction. It is very good. God was pleased. God delighted in what he had made. And so Is God, who is the very definition of of beauty, brings order out of chaos, and the the benediction is beautiful because the world is well-ordered. Chaos no longer rules, shalom rules. We know that it didn't last very long, however. And so there's an aspect of beauty that still exists even after Sin enters the world and, and the fall, and we see it um, in, in, a, in a creed. Uh, do any of you all know the TV show, um, uh, uh, The Man in the High Castle? Yeah, so you, you, you see this face and it's familiar to you. Yeah, this is a scene, I'm just gonna set the scene. Um, this is, so the man in the high castle, is a series that the premise of it is, what would the world be like if the Allied forces had, had lost World War II? If the Nazis had won, <laughs> what would it be like? And so the, America is divided into, uh, into, into, in half. You've got the, the Eastern side is, uh, is, is under Nazi rule, uh, you've got a neutral zone in the in the Middle States, and the western coast of Pacific states is under Japanese rule and of course, um, it's very, very um, life threatening and dangerous to be Jewish in that context. And so the Jews are underground, and this is a scene um, in that movie when this man Frank, is about to face execution. So it's about two minutes in length, and I haven't tr- we haven't tried the microphone, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully the sound comes through. What was he? What was he reciting? He was reciting Deuteronomy, De- yeah, Deuteronomy six, four. Uh, for the, the, the foundational creed, still for Israel, for us, um, um, the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God. Uh, the Lord, Ahad, is one. Uh, he kept reciting that foundational creed here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is an aspect of beauty that runs through this creed. And it's, I should say that is seen in this creed and runs through all the facets of perfection and proportion and pleasure, and that is simplicity. That declaration, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It is, yes, a declaration of monotheism. (laughs) There is one God. There is one Lord. We're not polytheists, but it means more than that theologians talk about the simplicity of god being expressed in that statement the lord is one and so you know there's a there's a lot of there's a there's a move this day uh if you just google like beauty and simplicity you get all kinds of hits because everybody wants to move toward the simple life they want to just like You know, our life is too complicated. We just need to get rid of the things that are excess. We want to live a a more simple life, and that's where happiness is found. That's where the the beautiful life is found. And so uh, when it comes to the simplicity of God, it simply means this, that God has no excess baggage. There's nothing that God has got to get rid of. (laughs) There's nothing that God has got to uh, kind of do do away with um, that he might be more complete. He is one Lord. Every attribute of God is necessarily an attribute of God. God's attributes are necessary to his, his being. He's got no excess. God doesn't have to do anything to live the simple life. He already is that in his essence. And so that fundamental declaration, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, Shema, means listen. It also means obey, right? Which is why the verse that follows, You shall love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind. uh, uh, With all your heart and soul and your might, that that you shall, <laughs> you shall be whole like, like him. With the entirety of yourself, you shall love him. So, uh, I'm gonna do one more, um, one more uh, thing from the world of creative arts to kind of get at this idea of beauty and simplicity. This is a um, a poem that. Um, I might just call it a spoken word because it will be set to music. This is an introduction to a song um, from, this is my son, uh, he, three years ago, one of his uh, major projects called I Heard God Laughing. Um, and this is a hymn reflecting on, on beauty and simplicity um, in, this, uh, in this poem. So we'll need the, the sound again. I've got the words here for you.
1: sky tonight has a certain elegance to her. The second great light has provided a unique kind of brightness. One through which seems to have not intentionally reaching out to his lovers. As I look up, clouds suspended in perfect bliss part and the light appears to have centered on me. The beauty of God's masterpiece had me paralyzed. It's almost as if the beloved was saying, stop and look. There was so much beauty to be found in simplicity thought for a moment and replied, my dear friend, as always, you are right. There is enough beauty in this one night to keep me infatuated until I meet you face to face. I could feel God crack a smile. For a while longer, I pondered. Then I proceeded to ask, why can't life be this beautiful? Why can't life be this simple? He simply responded, Nabil, Never cease to drown yourself in my love. Yeah, this one's for the beloved. The beloved. The beloved.
0: Sorry, I can't play the whole song. (laughs) Right, but right, it captures this vision of God the beauty and simplicity seen in the creation and asking the the tension, why can't life be this beautiful? Why can't life uh, be this simple? And he stops and hears the voice of God saying, Nabil, never cease to drown yourself in my love. And so there's this aspect, again, of beauty and simplicity in the scriptures, uh, bu- biblically, my friend Scott read in his, in his book, The Wholeness Imperative, says biblical simplicity springs from the heart of the lover of a simple God. The logical flow of the Shema goes something like this. God's character is, is whole, full, pure, rich, and simple Love. Herman Bobbing, the theologian, says all that God is, he is of himself by virtue of himself. He is goodness, holiness, wisdom, life, light, truth, and so on. His whole identity is wrapped up in the name. I will be what I will be. All God's other perfections are derived from this name. He is supreme in everything. Supreme being, supreme goodness, supreme truth, supreme beauty. He is the perfect, highest, the most excellent being than whom nothing better can exist or be thought. God is beautiful. And for our time this weekend, this is kind of the crux of where I'm leading to. These are the last um, few slides here. I want to say to us, that God's beauty is seen most profoundly, in my my opinion, in the reality of his Trinitarian life, the reality of his life, eternal life, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think this is John Frame, one of my favorite theologians who writes the fact. That these attributes of love and knowledge, as well as all the other attributes of God, only come alive and become real as a result of the Trinity.' It says, apart from it, they are more mere names, sounds, empty terms. As attributes of the triune God, they come alive both to our mind and to our heart. Only by the Trinity do we begin to understand that God, as he is in himself, hence also apart from the world, is the independent, eternal, omniscient, and all-benevolent one of love, holiness, and glory. The Trinity reveals God to us as the fullness of being, the true life, eternal beauty." got one more theologian to quote from you for you and to make this point this is herman bobbing again he said in god too there is unity and diversity diversity and unity understand right the life of god is father son and holy spirit one god three distinct persons eternally existing in that loving relationship Unity and diversity, diversity in unity. And Bobbing says, this order and this harmony is present in him absolutely. In the case of creatures, we see only a faint analogy of it. Among us, unity exists only by attraction, by the will and the disposition of the will. So what he's saying is, right, among us, we talk about unity, but our unity really Uh, exists most often only by attraction. Whether that's marriage, whether that's a a cornhole team. We are with and we want to be unified with the people we are attracted to, the people that we get along with, our kind of people, whatever our kind of people is. And he says "This this is how it is with us. He says, and and this is a moral unity that is fragile and unstable. He says, but in God, both are present. Absolute unity and absolute diversity. Absolute unity and absolute diversity. He said, this results in the most perfect kind of community. A community of the same beings, at the same time, it results in the most perfect diversity, a diversity of divine persons. In other words, this is my, my phrase that God, God exists in eternally beautiful community. God is beautiful community. His beauty is seen in his Trinitarian life. You heard already, right, the Shema, Lord our God, the Lord is one. The testimony of scripture is that God is one. At the same time, without contradiction, the Bible reveals to us this mystery of three persons who are God, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. As one theologian says, the confession of the Trinity is the, is the the heartbeat of Christian religion. We see it in the New Testament exposed and revealed at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and the other gospel writers do it as well. It says, when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw The Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect unity, harmony, and diversity. Peter, when he wants to encourage, the church which he calls us uh, elect exiles people who are living as exiles in the world because this world as it is currently constituted is not our eternal home he wants to encourage them and he says peter an apostle this is first peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of dis- the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He says, our life now is in accordance with the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of God the Holy Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so, for us, the beauty and glory of our triune God is seen in the mutual glorification of his communal life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm just, in this first session, just trying to set before our eyes a vision, a gaze of the glory of the God that we worship. Why is he worthy of glory and adoration and praise? Because of who he is in the beauty of his Trinitarian life. The beauty is seen in this reality that the three persons of the Trinity, right, they, are, they concur in all that they do. It's an indication of their unity, John Frame says. There's no conflict in the Trinity. The three persons are perfectly agreed on what they should do and how the, their plan should be executed. They support each other, assist one another, and promote one another's purposes. This intra-Trinitarian deference, this disposability of each to the others, is called mutual glorification. There's no conflict. Perfectly unified In their love for one another, in their submitting to one another, Jesus says, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. Just as the father sent sent me, Jesus says in in the end of John's gospel, so I send you. I submit to the father. And he says in John 14, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will send the paraclete, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. He leads you into all truth. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit working in complete unity and harmony in love, glorifying one another. Meek says this, a sense of beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous. Self-giving gaze, the noticing regard of another person, the seeing of one another, the noticing regard of one another. She's talking about a p- sense of personal beauty among us as people, but it's only true as a derivative of the of the beauty that exists within God. As they, as they do, each person of the Trinity love, infinitely love one another and a love that flows out from them into the creation. Beauty says all will be well. This is Meek again. Again, she's tying this idea of shalom to beauty. Beauty says all will, will be well. It speaks of a wholeness within that blesses surrounding people and environs with that same privilege. And lastly, this unity just has all the marks of beauty. And so, you know, as uh, my brother was sharing this morning about that picturesque view he got on Thursday morning, the sun rising over the horizon and seeing, right, the, the colors of the fall uh, in the leaves that are, that are changing colors as my son Nabil Marks uh, says, there's so much beauty in this one night as I, gaze at the stars and the, and the heavens and, uh, and the moon and at the, the simplicity of, of creation. My, my exhortation, my encouragement to us as we, as we start this weekend is to just always have before us, who is this God that we worship? What is he like? Yes, he's love, but he's beautiful in his love. Yes, he's kind, but he's beautiful in his kindness. Yes, he is merciful, but his mercy is beautiful. Yes, he is just, but he is beautiful in his execution of justice. Yes, he is all of these things because he is beautiful as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.